Welcome, you're listening to the Mac Observer's Background Mode. This is your host, John Marcellaro, and this week my guest is TMO Contributing Editor, or TMO Contributor, however it goes. John, welcome to the show. I, I think you've just given me a promotion, John. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, we should knight you, bring you up to uh, yeah. editor standards. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid what knighting would mean if Brian were doing the knighting. <laughs> You were last on in September 17. We had a good time. I wanted to have you back because uh, there's several things you and I have been talking about that we'd like to uh, to discuss further. Uh, For the listeners, uh, John, you were a successful New York attorney, TMO contributor for a long, long time. And you and I have common interests, especially in video and 4K and 8K, which we will get into later in the show. It's always fun to geek out with you. It is. It is. It's fun to have you on the show. All right, so um, let's talk about, first, before we get into 8K, the magic of Apple. There was a fascinating editorial at um, Medium a while back by an interesting author named Simon Helliar, who wrote a very big paragraph, I mentioned it in Particle Debris a couple weeks ago, about some things not being uh, Apple magical. Uh, there was a time when, maybe 10 years ago, when everything Apple did was, oh my God, oh my God, just so cool. It, has Apple lost that sense of magic, or are we just not seeing it anymore, or because we're too jaded, or is it just because Apple's a big company and they don't do magic anymore? What do you think? Uh, I, for, I, you know, it's, it's tough for me to, to get the pulse of, of the world and their thoughts uh, on Apple, but it, it is... In, uh, in my one, in my personal opinion, I do think a lot of the magic has died, and and this WWDC for me is going to be a, a very much a, a the canary in the coal mine moment to see uh, can Apple bring some magic back, or you know are they forever drifting kind of towards uh, being a, a still very super successful company, but as all super successful companies, they they you know at some point they become IBM, and who cares. Um, but in kind of just a couple of anecdotes, uh, I, I'm doing some renovations, and I've had people stop by, and you know I've got some interesting Apple gear, and a bunch of them, they're like, you know, they, they've said kind of to the effect is like, you know, I just don't feel like Apple's innovating anymore. They're just kind of you know coasting on it, and and so kind of the common person, you know, that's not a Mac head or not a tech enthusiast. I think a lot of folks are feeling kind of that there isn't a lot of inspirational work being done. Now, whether that's fair or not, like I think the Apple Watch is a pretty pretty transformative technology, although you know, they gropingly got to a hugely successful place there where they're basically number one in the market, but they kind of groped their way to it. It wasn't, it wasn't the immediate, like, uh, inc- and maybe it's, it's totally unfair to ever con- you know, compare anything else to the iPhone because it was such an overwhelmingly uh, presented and um, complete product for its time when everyone said this can't be done. And I remember I was poo-pooing that amongst my friends. And of course, I still went day one and uh, uh, went on the iPhone's release. And um, a, a buddy of mine that worked at the Apple store, I, I said, do you have one? And he's like, I got one for you, right? And so I went and got it. And I come home and I play with this for three minutes. And the first email I sent out to all my buddies was basically eating crow of like, yeah, this really is the Jesus phone. I mean, as soon as you touched it, it was magic. And I remember the first few weeks just having that phone, crowds would form around me at like a restaurant 
watching me like pinch and zoom stuff and people were you know their minds were blown and this is just everyday people that that really didn't care about tech it had that effect yeah nothing's going to have that kind of effect and maybe again that's an unfair standard but there's um i think there's been even holding that aside that that's maybe too great a hurdle for anyone to regularly uh hit or to even once again hit even by lesser standards of Apple's past, I don't think the products are magical. I think Apple regularly ignores what people like or want and is forcing solutions to problems that only they see and people don't have. Whereas usually the, in the past, people were delighted that Apple solved problems they didn't know they even had, right? Or, or sating desires they didn't even know what they had. Um, things like the touch bar, you know, it, it's a, a royal dud. Yeah. Um, uh, and, it's uh, it, 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 it's, it's, it's one of those, if you're a designer and you look at kind of the silhouette of the, of the machine, it's, it's, it's a lovely image, mm-hmm. but it's, it's just, it's solving a problem no one had, um, and, uh, no one cares about. And yet they're still forcing the same stinky keyboard that everyone howls about for the third year. They just released a new Mac book pros today and they're still yeah it's another revision of a failed keyboard that everyone says they hate and everyone loved the previous one and yet apple still won't give people what they want and they just don't care is it a case of a squeaky wheel a few people are annoyed with the keyboard because i like it so is it maybe the case that 98 percent of the people enjoy the keyboard and two percent are writing fire and brimstone about it I don't think though. Uh, so th- that's definitely a problem, and that's a fair thing to ignore, right? You can't you can't be bullied by the minority uh, because you know someone uh, wants their pretty you know menagerie uh, oriented and just so away. Um, I think that this keyboard is more polarizing. I mean, even for previous keyboards, I'm sure you could always find some minority that like, oh, I don't like this keyboard; it's too mushy or whatever, or too much travel. But the vast majority of uh, folks either loved it or were fine with it, whereas this keyboard is more polarizing. It's odd, other than the noise and the initial getting used to the new keyboards, because you're used to having more travel. So you're, it's almost like you were thumping your, fi- your fingers and hurting yourself because you're used to the same longer, harder throws. So now, but I'm a lazy person by nature. So the fact that I could actually type softer. <laughs> and that key throw issue is very sensitive subject for people. Yeah. But I, so am, I am a one to two millimeter key throw guy. Yeah. Anything longer annoys the heck out of me. Which is fair. And I, 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 I mean, I see a lot of, um, logical reason on this but a lot of this is subjective feel and i don't think it's a uh a two percent to 98 percent thing i think it, it's like a 30 to 70 percent mm. deal or maybe worse in which case you can't polarize and make that great a per- percentage of people hate your keyboard um you know if they were selling that and push and the odd thing is of course the, the external keyboards they're selling for the iMacs and, and Mac Pros are still the longer throw keyboards that everyone likes. But there you have an option. So if they wanted to push that butterfly keyboard on, you know, where you have options, that kind of makes sense because the answer is, well, just go get another keyboard. Uh, but on the MacBook Pros, on the laptops, you have no option. You have to use that keyboard. So it can't be that polarizing. Uh, I don't think that's a magic issue. I, I think it's just more of, uh, again, Apple arrogance um, and not caring 
is is the big thing. And if you have a company that constantly is demonstrating, we don't care about your products, we don't care about what you love, we don't we don't care to show you the attention on a product that you actually care about and love. It, it does diminish. It tarnishes the experience. People are like, well. If you guys don't care, why should I care about this? A good example and, of that is the Apple TV remote. It sort of falls into the same basket in my mind. There, I sense that um, nobody really likes the Apple TV remote. I certainly don't. And Apple has shown no signs or interest or caring that they're going to make it better. Yeah, it, it, and it's uh, and there's nothing wrong with having a dud here and there, right? Like. You know the there was the uh, the hockey puck mouse that everyone oh, with the iMac, yeah. loathed, right? <laughs> um, right. So you try. I mean, I think actually that's a very healthy thing that people try stuff, and sometimes it goes a little too far, and you, you know you learn from your mistake and you, and you do something better. But even the the Magic Mouse too, like it, it's. I mean, actually, if I if Johnny Ive designed where that mouse is plugged in, he should just free, he should just kill himself uh, out of shame. Because it's such a bad design. And people howl about it. And again, nobody cares. Um, and at some point, you have to wonder, again, if the company itself shows a lack of care, how are you going to feel there's magic, right? They just don't care about a bunch of these products. That said, I'm glad Apple is at least updating the MacBook Pro regularly again. It was nice to have an update today. Um, yeah, those I are Coffee think- Lake refresh chips. Those are not Ice Lake. Yeah. Uh, but on the other hand... They're, again, they show a lack of care in that they're gouging their customers on um, the SSD prices. It's $2,400 to upgrade to a 4-terabyte SSD, to upgrade to the SSD. Let me put that in context. Today, for under $2,800, you can get an NVMe 15.7-terabyte uh, SSD that reads and writes a 3.5 gigabyte uh, um, uh, gigabits per second. Uh, and, um, it costs under $2,800. So just, so it's faster. <laughs> it's way huger. And it's almost the exact same price as the upgrade price. I mean, it's pure gouging. That's well, a micro- the devil's advocate here. Isn't it designed to be in a more benign environment sitting on a desktop as opposed to being inside a MacBook where it's dropped and vibrated and moved around and air pressure changes and, well, it actually comes in a 2.5-inch uh, drive, so you could slap it into a portable if you wanted to, right? right? Okay, okay. So, um, and it's every bit as fast. So th- there's really no excuse for this. I mean, it's so much apologies uh, from Apple. But it, again, they don't care that they're gouging. And, uh, you know, as a customer, you're like, yeah, I get that I'm paying a premium, but come on. That's insane. Um, and so that tarnishes kind of the appeal. Like, you, there was, there's a point where I think – I think this is where the real magic is lost. And I think this is a failure of Apple. And I, I, I'm on all kinds of forums where there's lots of Mac pros and, and they bemoan it. And they always get in these weird tribal arguments about what is a pro? They're not serving the pro market. Is the pro, you know, someone that works mm-hmm. at Pixar and needs no storage because they have a giant data cluster over, you know, 10 gigabit Ethernet? Um, or is a pro, you know, a guy that's doing web pages? And I say, forget the pros. The pros are irrelevant. The pros are not necessarily the folks that saved Apple. It's the enthusiasts, 
the enthusiasts are when Apple was in its darkest day that saved them. It's folks that get a Mac Pro. They never, they don't necessarily need slots, but they like the, having it there. Why? Because they're enthusiastic about the platform. They want to do weird things in addition to whatever professional obligations they may have and, and, and work uses they have. And when you just ignore that market and, and actually deride them almost, and you get that feeling from the company, well, yeah, a lot of magic is going to go away because you're just telling the enthusiasts, go elsewhere. And frankly, they have in droves. Um, There's and- that concept of the halo car in the car industry where General Motors has a lot of Chevys and pickup trucks, but the halo car is the Corvette, yeah. something everybody aspires to. And other companies do. The other car companies have their halo cars. Sure. So do you think the new Mac Pro, if we get it this year or early next, is going to be a halo Mac to me, it is the total – so there are two camps, and, and Brian and I were uh, arguing this. You know, What does modular mean? He believes modular means roughly a stack – of course, he, he will be pedantic and, and uh, say it's different than this, but it, it, he's wrong. It's roughly – he believes it's a stack of Mac minis right? With uh, that go one on top of the other where you have a base machine with the CPU and you have another – Mac Mini-ish pancake slap on it that might have video cards and another one that may have storage, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and to me, that, that means I'm done with Apple. I'm, I'm literally going to start working to get out of the ecosystem. I'll run uh, Mac OS and an emulator on Linux or something like that, and I'm just going to start getting out. Not ma- and on top of it, I'm going to start divesting all What is stuff. it about that kind of Mac that annoys you in particular? Because it ignores the enthusiast, meaning, uh, one, you can't put a PCI slot into a Mac Mini, right? And even if you did it vertically, it'd be basically moronic. It'd be like the leaning tower of Mac Mini. So if we were Apple engineers and we had it our way, how would we do it? Would we go back to a cheese grater design a little little more miniaturized? It doesn't have to be cheese grater per se because so much of the tech has changed. But one thing it must, 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 must have are PCI slots. And the reason it needs PCI slots are there, there are such... A incredible array of PCI tech that you could slap into a Mac Pro to this day. For instance, for that NVMe, um, uh, that Micron NVMe SSD that I mentioned that's like $2,700, uh, you can put in today into an ancient cheese grater Mac Pro into the PCI slot uh, a card that supports that, that NVMe protocol and gets 12.5 gigabytes per second throughput. Mm-hmm. Right? And it, it blows away anything that any uh, currently selling Macs uh, can do uh, that way. I, there was an article at ZDNet just the other day about that. The six ways the Apple Mac Pro could go terribly wrong. Yeah. Did you see that? Yeah. And, and, and really it boils down to those PCI slots. Uh, another thing I just recently added for $99 was a 10 gigabit um, um, uh, Ethernet card. But you could also add uh, 100 gigabit optical cards to your Mac Pro, right? And 40 gigabit optical, uh, not Ethernet, it's, it's basically a fiber uh, card. And there's, some, and there's like scientific equipment PCI cards for weird scientific applications and data acquisition, all kinds of weird stuff that Apple will never, listen, Apple wouldn't update the Mac Pro in, <laughs> in six plus years, right? So the odds of them fulfilling all these ni- uh, niches uh, with, a custom flapjack Mac uh, Pro s- uh, stacks is zero. It will never happen. You will never have that diversity at play. Think they're gonna it will go never away. make you video capture cards. A series, right? You think I'm they'll sorry? go A series in the new Mac Pro, or is it too early for that? So it's a really good question because 
I, I think, you know, on a on kind of an iMac and Mac Mini desktop, and even on the laptops, it makes sense because by the uh, the current um, iteration of the A12 um, X uh, has eight cores, and it runs like basically with no heat, no cooling of any any, and it's super fast. It's faster than probably a good number of MacBook Pros already. The problem is where you can fault Intel over the years for being awful, like from 2011 to 2017 and into 18, we were stuck at four core chips. Mm -hmm. The 2011 MacBook Pro had a four core chip and the 2017 machines, you know, up until 2018 when the refresh came in, still had four cores. And only recently did they go to six and eight and they're still stuck at 14 nanometers. But, uh, what you can't you can't say well, that Ice Lake is out now with ten nanometers. Finally, finally. Right. Well, I, although we didn't get that, right? No, so, we didn't. Uh, but they finally came out with ten. But on the Xeon side, though, they did update. Like if you go to 2011 and two, uh, sorry 2010, we had six core chips. Uh, by uh, 2017, when the iMac Pro came out, that that was up to um, was it 18 core? I think it was 18 core. Yeah. So they did progress. Over time, so I don't think the A series is quite ready for the Xeon level of competition. But you know what? In another two, three years, it probably will be. All right. Well, we got to take a break now. We've come to the end of the first segment. In the second half of the show, I have some more questions to ask you about. But first, we have to take a short break and hear from Kelly. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Hello there, all you fabulous background mode listeners. I'm Kelly Gamont with the Mac Observer, and I just want to say a few words about how you can support all the things we do. If you're thinking about buying something from Apple, Amazon, or Mac Mall, just go to the Mac Observer's homepage where we have a section called Support TMO. Or you can just enter macobserver.com forward slash Apple Store, all one word, and that will take you to our special page for Apple and our other affiliates. If you make a purchase from one of our partners this way, the Mac Observer receives a small compensation for sending business their direction. Pretty cool, right? And you don't pay a penny more. This small fee from our affiliates helps us continue to bring you TMO's daily news, reviews, tips, how-tos, and podcasts like this one. So the next time you're thinking about an online purchase, come to TMO's homepage and support the Mac Observer. Thanks. Back to you, John. Thanks. I'm chatting with John Key, TMO contributor. You and I are both 4K and 8K nutcases. Uh, 8K, I'm a little dubious about. I need some convincing uh, in October of 17, I made the jump to an Apple TV 4K and a Sony 4K display. And I've been loving my uh, 4K OLED, and we've talked about this before. But now, I take it, you are on an 8K bandwagon, and I want to hear more, because I'm very skeptical that 8K is immediate and necessary. So, well, much of this is never necessary. It's good, too. <laughs> Um, so it depends on what you mean by need. Uh, but I, I want to fracture this into two, two areas, one where 4K was not useful, but one where I think 8K will be extremely useful, which is there's the using 8K for television type usage, and then there's using the 8K for display monitor uses, mm. where I think the 8K totally is transformative is on the desktop monitor space. It solves probably your first question of like, hey, at a certain distance, you can't even see the pixels, so why bother having them right. when you're on TV, which are very fair arguments. 
at the desktop when it's, you know, say two and a half feet away from your face or so, or even just, you know, 18 inches from your face, depending upon how close you have it on your desktop, um, you're going to see that. And if you all of a sudden, this, this may sound extreme, but I, I guarantee you it's not. Putting a 65-inch 8K display, which is available today, you can get a Samsung uh, for around five grand ish. How many um, inches is it? Diagonally? Six, 65-inch. Oh, oh, sorry. And sorry having sorry. 8K, what you're going to have is the equivalent of four 4K monitors. Now, a lot of folks like having two 4K monitors, and a lot of folks like having three 4K monitors. But having four of them in a very tight two by two pattern is actually not much more it's basically no more desk space than having two 4k monitors right um on there but now you've got the equivalent of four of those displays you could put a piece of paper right up to the monitor at 65 inches and a page will roughly be the same size as a page except it'll be insanely crystal sharp and the windows too small as a result of the scaling no because you know at 65 you're going to have a retina you're going to have a retina display uh, at 65 inches, it's roughly the same as having, say, 230. But if the window's designed to be 1,000 by 500 pixels, it's going to be pretty small. No, because well, because you're going to have... So if you have a 4K display currently, right, you have it in retina mode, meaning it's not like, you know, it, the, the text all scales up to uh, so that, that, you know, the windows are a reasonable size and all the text is a reasonable size. Um, and the same thing. So if you have a 4K, if you're cool with a 4K 30-inch display, which many people are, right? I'm using one that's almost like that. I'm using a Hewlett Packard 34-inch. It's just short of 4K. It's glorious. Right. So, and many people don't have the extra wide uh, display, which you have, which is awesome, by the way. Uh, but they just have regular 4K, you know, regular uh, 16 by 9 aspect ratios. And they're around 30 inches, give or take, right? Depending upon mm. what brand and the retina, they, they, they use the retina settings on the display, and the text is glorious. Well, again, if you just got a second one of those monitors next to it, it's taking the same, you know, it's taking the same length footprint as basically the 65-inch or a 55-inch display would. But you're just getting a bonus two monitors vertically atop of it. So uh, all the windows are going to look at the right size. They're going to be gloriously detailed. And you're going to be able to, you know, if you're a photographer, you'll have an insane 8K. <laughs> you know, you'll be able to literally see, uh, uh, I think, about 30 megapixels. How much does 30- this 8K Samsung cost? Uh, it's around five grand, so it's a bit prohibitive now. And the the other real problem is that the connections of modern video cards aren't really pumping out well for the. Uh, you're going to need something that supports HDMI 2.1. Oh, yes. uh, it has a 48 gigabit pipe uh, to to go out to do 8K, and uh, so you'll need uh, you'll need you know basically Thunderbolt 4 <laughs> level of video card to pump up enough data. So you're not. I think right now you'd probably need something like two Thunderbolt 3 cables to drive an 8K display. Uh, but once uh, some of the video cards come out with HDMI 2.1 connectors. You're going to be able to drive probably up to two 8K displays and uh, or a 10K display because the HDMI 2 standard supports 8K at 7680 by 4320 pixels and 10K, which is still 4320 vertical pixels, but it's a little extra wide. It's a 21 by 9 aspect ratio and it does 10, uh, 10,240 by uh, 4320. So 
John, there might even be the possibility of getting a 10K monitor in the same aspect ratio that you have currently <laughs> in the HP, which will be gluttonous. But the HDMI 2.1 uh, spec will support that. But to me, that's transformative because currently I have six um, 30-inch uh, Apple Cinema displays, which do like 2550 by 1600. And they're arranged in a three by two grid. So roughly, it's I, I forget. I think it was somewhere around twenty four megapixels is what they do. Yeah, 20, around twenty four, twenty five megapixels. So I could replace all six of those with one sixty ish inch eight K display, and I'm done. I have the same kind of desktop. Are those space. discrete displays, or do they, or do they aggregate to one big image? And if they, they aggregate, do, what software have, do you use for that? Uh, it's just built into the Mac, and they aggregate as one uh, giant display for me. Oh, okay. What do you think the commercial aspects are for 8K? Because as far as I know, uh, for 8K television, there's nothing beyond Dolby Vision and HDR10 that would create a market case for moving to 8K. My understanding is when we move to 8K, we'll still have Dolby Vision, We'll still have HDR10, and the, there's some competition for those, but they're not very well established. So there's there's talk that the HDMI 2.1 standard is going to support a new uh, dynamic HDR. Uh, I don't know if the specs on that have been fully written out. Mm. Um, and to me, it really depends. Like, Unfortunately, the, the industry is going through the same horrible Sony Betamax versus VCR fight right now oled is clear to me the hdr makes a lot of sense when you particularly when you have oled the qled and all these knockoffs that are really far lesser um are are frankly baloney uh but the hdr on those sets is is particularly useful um and i think you get into larger sets so to me if i were to buy one tv right now um um LG just released an 88-inch OLED 8K display. Now, unfortunately, I think this Gen 1 is probably going to be like in the many tens of thousands of dollars. But at 88-inch, I'm pretty sure you're going to be able to tell the difference. Um, uh, Something like five feet to take advantage of that, maybe six. uh, I I think even at 10 feet, You'll be okay on an eighty inch, eighty eight inch. No, no, sat- you're way out of range at ten feet. Ten feet's retina. Well, uh, maybe you, you got to uh, sit down around six feet. Maybe from an you know people. Inch. People argue the same thing about four K, but yet people are able. The eye is able to pick up more than it seems to. It's yeah. kind of like when you. When <laughs> I know. I know. It's it's kind of like, uh, and, and it has a lot to do with motion, right? Uh, the the kind of the brain's algorithms of how it picks up motion and the detail it brings on. It's over multiple frames and it processes, you know, into your head. Right. Not These charts that you see are based on the optical resolution of the human eye and the retina. Right. It, it it's kind of like it's kind of like audio fatigue that some audiophiles point out that you don't know why, but you get tired when you're listening to. Um, uh, a, a, say um, a 200 kilobit uh, recording, right in uh, MP3, and when you listen to it at say uh, you know 600 kilobit, uh, it's so far beyond the ear that you can't tell. But when you do an A/B test, you still can't discern it. But over time, you get a fatigue from from uh, from the lower resolution. So there, there's a bit to that, and it's fuzzy, and you know. 
every person is going to perceive this differently. Uh, so I, I think it, in game playing, for example, the 8K is hugely useful. I'll give you one example even where 4K, although I sit much closer to my TV than you do. I, I, my feet literally are touching my TV when I when – I'm not I, much uh, further away. I'm more like seven feet. So it, it, even at your distance, it, it might be good. But when I play um, uh, video games on, on 4K, one of the things I'm able to do, it's almost a cheat. Uh, when you're shooting far range with kind of like an inaccurate weapon, not like a sniper rifle, but kind of like a pistol, right? Before, like at, at an HD resolution, the image is so fuzzy that getting a headshot is basically blind luck. On 4K, I can put my face closer up and I'm like, wow, <laughs> I can totally pinpoint where I'm going to shoot and I get great accuracy because of it. So in, in, in kind of the gaming world, I think it, it, it pays dividends um, to, to have the higher resolution. Although uh, I, I did hear that the Sony PlayStation 5 will support 8K. Um, so it's kind of meaningful for those next-gen kind of video game players. Um, that said, I do agree with you. There's a law of diminishing returns, right? There, there comes a point where um, it becomes just laughable, right? You know, somewhere around, I don't know about 8K. Let's say 100K becomes stupid. Right, because you're so many times out beyond the limits of of any human's ability to perceive that that it's just wasteful. So why go that far? My argument is, while I agree there are diminishing returns to go from 4K to 8K, they're still appreciable. Where I would argue is somewhere around 16K is probably just stupid, unless you're like dealing with microscopic, you know, your face is three inches from the display. <laughs> kind of thing and, and and there's a need for that beyond that or um I, i'm not i'm not seeing the need maybe on a phone right you know you'd get something with pixels that dense but then you wouldn't need that many pixels so my argument is i i, I see your point but i think there's still enough benefit kind of fuzzy brain benefit at 8k that it's valuable and definitely as a desktop solution i, I i'm 100 percent convinced it kills the need for multiple monitors basically for 90-plus percent of humanity. Uh, you have one 55- to 65-inch 8K display. You're done and happy. Cool. One more question. When do you think 8K displays will be affordable? I'm talking about $2,000 instead of five or 10000 Yeah, I bet. My guess is um, definitely not this year because they're, uh, Samsung is selling it around five to six grand for their 65 inch, which is, I think the cheapest 8k right now. Uh, could be wrong, but that's as cheapest I've, and I've the smallest practical one. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I mean, for a desktop to your point, you know, from 10 feet away, it's of dubious use. <laughs> um, but yeah, if I, I would actually use that on my, on my desktop. Um, if, if anywhere, uh, but my guess is not even next year. Next year, I bet you they get to the maybe $3,700 level, mm -hmm. right? Uh, on, and this is on uh, not on OLED. This is on LEDs. Uh, um, but, you know, the year after that, I think they get down into the twos. 2021. I think, yeah, so it's not that far. I think we'll see an upgrade to the Apple TV before then. I don't see a need for it. I think it's pretty much cool the way it is. Um, I think they eventually will do 8K, but I, I, I don't – I think hopefully they'll be – they were late in the curve for 4K. Yeah, to be mildly were. fair to them, the 4K adoption was way faster than a lot of people anticipated, right? Um, so my get, as long as they're somewhere in the middle third of the kind of like 
acceleration into adoption of the curve, they're fine. They don't have to do one just because, you know, there's one Samsung TV out now. Right. It'd be right. wasteful to do now. So probably if they if they release it in, somewhere around the same time, like to your point, when the enthusiasts, enthusiasts can, can it's still very expensive, you know, for the average Joe to spend $2,500 on a TV. But the enthusiasts will do that. That's like a laptop you know, expense for uh, for an enthusiast that really likes their TV. So when the early enthusiasts start getting into it in decent numbers, and there's a decent number of TVs in the say under three thousand dollar range, that would be a good time for Apple to be close to releasing uh, an 8K version of it. All right, very cool. Well, guess what? We're out of time. <laughs> we did it again. We just blew through thirty two minutes. Oh my! I want to thank you for coming on the show and chatting with me. This has been great. Thanks so much. I love I love talking with you, and that's why time flies. So tell the listeners how they can contact you if they wish, if they have a question or just want to say hi. Um, yeah, the, the, you know what? I'm not even sure what my email address is on. Uh, any one of my articles has my email address on it. Feel free to, to send a note and say hi. Okay, great. Listeners, you've been listening to John Keat, TMO contributor and uh, all-around technical guru. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the show, and uh, we'll see you again next week.